Well, good morning, Calvary Souderton, and good morning, Calvary Quakertown. And thanks for taking time out of your uh, Sunday morning to be with us. Uh, we believe that if you haven't already come to the place where you're glad you're here, by the time we're done, you probably will reach that place. If not, uh, don't tell us, but if not, keep that in mind to come next week and maybe you'll have those needs met then. I do want to mention to you that you can now watch the messages, not just listen to the messages, on our website. So ever since Easter, the messages have been posted. And so you can go to the website, go down to listen or watch messages, click on that, and there you'll see a video from each message starting on Easter until the present. Now that doesn't mean you can stop coming to church. Uh, it's not the same as if you watch the video and as if you're here. Remember, our primary purpose for gathering we don't gather primarily to receive, we gather to give. And again, maybe we receive a little bit, but we don't gather to be fed only. We gather to receive and to give, to look to the needs around us and to be an expression of the gospel to people that show up, people we meet in the parking lot, people we converse with in the atrium, people we're in the same section with in the room. So again, you can check out the videos, have people look at them, you can let them know about that, but don't stop coming to church just because you can watch the video. Well, we're in a series that we're calling Continuing What Jesus Started, and we're making our way through the letter of 2 Timothy. And the reason we've chosen that letter is because in that letter, Paul is telling Timothy how he can continue what Jesus started. And so as we're trying to continue what Jesus started, we thought it would be a pretty good idea to check out what Paul says to Timothy, because that probably applies to us in the same way. All good communicators know that they need to speak in pictures. The best communicators write in figures of speech. They speak word pictures that allow us to see as well as hear what they're talking about. And the pictures that we find in the Bible aren't just for illustrative purposes. The pictures we find in the Bible are kind of like windows and mirrors. You've seen Law and Order, right? Uh, they interview the people behind the mirror window, right? It's kind of a one-way mirror window thing. And so the people that are watching the interview, they look through the window and see the interview. But the people in the interview room, they look at it and they just see a mirror. The pictures of the Bible are both windows and mirrors. And so when Jesus tells parables, he wants us to see ourselves in the story. He wants us to read ourselves into the story. When Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, be like a soldier and an athlete and a farmer. Paul wants Timothy to see himself in those pictures and in those roles. But the pictures aren't just given as mirrors to see ourselves. They're windows through which we see something about God, who he is, and life as he wants us to live it. And so Paul says to Timothy, think about a soldier. And as you look at a soldier... I want you to become more like a soldier as you follow Jesus. Become more like an athlete as you dedicate yourself to the task. Become more like, more like a farmer as you work hard, looking forward to the harvest. All the pictures are windows and mirrors. Now I tell you all that because this morning we're going to pick up another, another couple of pictures. Paul continues his picture display by talking about metamorphosis transformation, change. Now we're only going to look at three verses, uh, but hopefully you'll get the picture, and from those pictures we'll play with a couple of other pictures, and then we'll talk about what it means at the end. 
So if you have your Bibles, your phone, your iPad, your tablet, whatever you got, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 20 through 22. Just a couple of verses. But notice we get more pictures that serve as windows and mirrors. Here we go. Paul writes to Timothy. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now we're going to make some observations about those verses. And some of you are thinking, Charles, the verses are very self-explanatory. I don't need your explanation. How about if we get out early? Well, you need my help because the verse, the pictures aren't exactly as you may think when you get started. Some observations. We're going to walk through verse by verse. Here's the first verse that I read, verse 20. In a large house. Let's stop right there. Paul is not saying to Timothy, in your house. Because Timothy probably didn't have a large house. He's not saying, in a typical Ephesian house. Most of the Ephesians didn't live in large houses. Paul is saying, Timothy, in a really, really large house, maybe, in a palace, in the king's house, in royalty's homes, they have lots of different articles. Now, I know you have a lot of stuff in your house, and to tell you the truth, our homes are like really, really large homes compared to the homes that most people lived in back in the biblical days. But in a large house, there are lots and lots of different articles. Some of those articles were made of gold and silver, and they were used for very special purposes. So let's just check and see if we're tracking here. How many of you have anything, anything in your home that you only use on special occasions? Raise your hand. Yes. Good. So you understand kind of what it's like to live in a large house and have different kind of articles, right? Maybe you have a special tablecloth that only comes out on special occasions. Maybe you have crystal glasses you drink out of that only come out at special occasions. Maybe you have real china. Maybe you have fancy silverware. Maybe you have goldware, right? But some of that stuff, some of those articles, you only bring out on very, very special occasions. You don't use that stuff every day when you're just eating dinner with the kids. And when the riffraff come over, you put that stuff under lock and key, right? Because it may walk. So you got to get the picture. In, some large in all large houses, there are some articles, some utensils, some things that are only for special use. You don't use them every day. They're not for ordinary use. They're for special guests and special occasions. Got it? Now, what's Paul comparing that to? Well, if you look at the verse, it says, then there are other articles that are for common use. The plates you eat off every night. The plastic ones you drop, they don't break, right? They're the good ones. Um, the paper plates, the styrofoam plates, the red solo cups in the cabinet, right? They're things for ordinary use, everyday use. It doesn't matter, you know, they, it falls on the floor. It doesn't, right? It's for ordinary use. Now, here's the point. That's not what Paul's talking about. I know the verse kind of confuses you, right? Paul's not saying in a large house, in a palace, there are some articles for special occasions and special guests. And then there are other articles for everyday use. That's not the comparison he's making. The older translation's better. Some articles are for noble purposes and some 
articles are for ignoble purposes. So in our homes, we've got some articles for special occasions and special guests. We've got ordinary things for every day. And then we have some other articles that are for gross jobs, right? You've got mops that are funky and filthy, right? And you keep them locked away in a closet or down in a basement. You've got the shovel that you clean up the dog mess in the yard with. That's what you got. You got the little rake that you clean out the litter box. Look, I'm not, don't get mad. That's what Paul says. That's what he's talking about. He's saying in a large house, you've got some articles that are for special occasions and special use. But then you've got other articles in that home that you use only for gross things. Only for like disgusting chores. You've got those, right? And sometimes, if you're not careful, you wind up using the wrong article for the wrong thing. So, for example, pretend it's winter. I'm glad it's not, but just pretend. You wake up in the middle of the night, and back then there was no running water. You didn't have a bathroom in your house, and you really have to go. See, it's becoming a junior high sermon now. Sorry. <laughs> so you go downstairs. There's no way you're going outside, right? So you go into the cabinet, and what do you, you find a bowl, and it has a lid. See, oh, this will work. You don't want your wife to know, right? But, and so you kind of go in the bowl. You put the lid on, of course, and you hopefully are going to get up before your wife so you can get rid of this thing. Uh, this, is, this is exactly what Paul's talking about. Now, you've used, it, you've used this thing for an ignoble, disgusting use. Now, here's, what, here's the picture that Paul's playing with. God, in his house, has lots and lots and lots of different articles. Some of those articles are for special occasions and special use, some for everyday ordinary use, and some of those articles are kind of for disgusting, gross things. Be very careful that you use the right articles for the right things. Right? Got the picture? That's what Paul's talking. He's talking two ends of the continuum, not the end in the middle. Both ends of the continuum. Noble and ignoble use. That's what he's talking about. But then look at, verse, at the next verse, verse 21, and you'll realize that it's a mirror, right? Paul isn't really talking about articles in a home. He's not talking about pots and bowls with lids and plates and silverware and vases and glasses. He's talking about people. So this is a mirror. So he's talking about all these articles in the king's house, but he says, I want you to look into it, and it's a mirror. I want you to see yourself. So what does verse 21 say? Those who cleanse themselves, pots and pans don't cleanse themselves. Dirty utensils don't run across the floor and jump into the dishwasher. Things don't clean up. Paul's saying, no, no, no. The picture is a mirror. In God's house are lots and lots of different articles, but the articles are really people. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, from that gross ignoble use can become instruments, again, of special purposes. Now, here is the point. Paul, in these couple of verses, is showing us the storyline of the Bible in just a couple of verses. It goes like this. God created human beings in his image to reflect his glory and majesty to the world, to the universe. God created human beings for very noble, special purposes to reflect his character and his glory to the watching world. But those human beings were not content doing that. They wanted to live life their way. 
and they blew right through ordinary everyday use down to disgusting gross use. And now the articles that God created for noble special use have become filthy, ignoble, disgusting. We've used articles for special occasions for the grossest, most disgusting things. Well, that raises a question then. What are you going to do with that pot? What are you going to do with that bowl with the lid on that you kind of made a mess with? What are you going to do with that thing that you used that was a glorious special occasion pot that you've been using for ignoble purpose? What are you going to do with that? Paul says those pots can be cleansed. They can be sanitized. They can be scoured. They can be scrubbed. They can be lysoled. They can be cleaned again. And if those pots that were created for special purposes but have been kind of defrauded and deformed and used for these gross purposes, they can become utensils and articles for those special purposes again. Those articles that were designed to be gold and silver to reflect God's glory, they can do it again, but it's going to take some cleaning. It's going to take some scouring and scrubbing. It's going to take some sanitizing and lysoling. It's going to take a whole lot of work, but it can be done. That process, in the middle of that verse, is called sanctification. Now, this translation, the NIV, the one in the seat rack, doesn't use that big fancy word. It uses the words made holy, but that's exactly what it means. And so those utensils and articles that were made for noble purposes, but have been used for ignoble purposes, can be cleansed and sanitized and scoured and used again for noble purposes, provided they are made holy, cleansed, sanctified. That's the idea. See how it works? Now here's another, the next verse um, brings another facet into the story. Now, so it starts out in verse 20, we've got inanimate objects in a house. Paul then says, no, no, no. It's a mirror. See yourself in the articles. And then in verse 22 he says, and you've got a responsibility in this deal. You are not objects that are only acted on. We are participants that need to be proactive in this as well. So it's not just that you're going to be cleansed and scoured. You need to cooperate with the master in that process. How do you do that? You flee evil desires and you pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. That's how you do it. You turn from some things and turn towards some things. There again is another big fancy religious theological word, repentance. And you've heard me say this before. All of those long theological technical terms that we all you know, think about and our eyes glaze over, what the heck does that mean? Well, sanctification, repentance, they were all picture words. So the sanctification word is the funky pot becoming cleansed, cleansed to be useful again for special purposes. The turning from, fleeing, and turning to, pursuing, that's repentance. They're all picture words. So in the king's house, there are lots and lots and lots of articles. Some for noble, some for ignoble purposes. The problem is that ever since the third chapter of the story... Those articles for special purposes have been used for gross, nasty purposes. But those articles can be cleansed and sanctified and made useful again, back for those special purposes, and we have a part to play in that process. Now, there are what, that's kind of what the three verses are saying. 
But what I want you to realize is that that is not just a theme that Paul talks about here and is kind of absent in the rest of the Bible. That theme runs through the entire Bible from beginning to end. I literally could just take the next 30 minutes and do nothing but read you other verses, picture words, picture verses, and principle verses that say the same thing. I won't do that. I do want to read a couple of them to you to show you that even though the pictures may change, the point is exactly the same. So here are a couple familiar verses from the book of Ephesians. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. See the picture, former way of life. Here's what you do. Put off your old self. Now, now the picture is clothing. Take off the filthy garments that have become disgusting and put on the clean garments. Same basic idea, right? God creates us and clothes us with these good garments for special occasions. But just like the little two-year-old who gets out in the yard and it's raining, he's playing in the mud, he's playing in the manure, he's mining around in the mess, he comes back in, mommy, mommy, what does mom do? She takes off and puts on. That's what we need to do. God, is, God provides the garments. We soil the garments. God then says, put off and put on. Take those filthy, disgusting garments off, and you can be reclothed in garments of beauty and righteousness again. Got it? And then we have this, these verses from the beginning of Romans 12. Paul writes again, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. Don't continue to run down the ignoble, disgusting, gross, pa gross pathways, but be transformed. Go the other direction. And how do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. So notice, we take these pictures, same basic theme, different pictures, but they're all adding a slightly different nuance. So what Paul says in Romans 12 is, you can be cleansed, but the cleansing happens from the inside out. You see, if we only played with the garment verses, if we only played with the clean, the pot pictures, it would seem like it's an external deal from beginning to end, but then we've got these whole, this whole other stream of verses that says, no, 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 this, cha this change, this transformation, this cleansing, this sanctification is an inside-outside deal, not an outside-inside deal. So don't be conformed to the culture, but be transformed in your mind, your thinking from the inside out. Now, you see that word transformed in that verse? That is a, literally, a transliterated word. You know the difference between a translation and a transliteration. In a translation, you take one, a word in one language and you find a similar a word that means almost the same thing in another language and then you translate that word to the new word. But in, when you transliterate a word, you can't really find a word that's good in, in the new language. So what do you do? You take the letters from the, from the word over here in the original language, and you just make the letters the letters of the new language, but you leave the word the same. That word transformed is the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is not an English word, it's a Greek word. And it's a word, if you were to take the letters of Greek that spell out metamorphosis, you'd bring them over, you'd transliterate it right into English, and you just say metamorphosis, that's what I say in Greek. 
there wasn't quite the right word. Now, do you know what a metamorphosis is about? When I say the word metamorphosis, what, what, what do you think of? Say it. What do you think of? Butterflies. Butterflies. That's right. So let's use that metamorphosis idea as an illustration. It is now spring, which means in uh, Miss Epstel's class, they're doing a biology experiment watching caterpillars become butterflies. And we've actually done this the last few years because our daughter teaches first grade. And in the North Penn School District, I think all the first graders right now have little cocoons hanging in their classroom because every first grader gets a little caterpillar that eventually makes that little sleeping bag and, and they're watching and waiting right now. I still remember the first time Ashley did the experiment. They all became butterflies. They go outside. And so she's filming this. She's videoing it on her phone that she sent to us. And when they let all the butterflies out, all the birds in the area thought it was feeding time. They all came and ate the butterflies. The boys are loving it. Whoa, Miss Epstein, this is the best class ever. No, come on, class, get inside, get in. Well, but but that, that's not why I'm telling you the story. But notice, the process is the process of metamorphosis. It's the process of transformation and change. Now, uh, let me tell you what, what, what I used to think. I, I never thought about it much, but here's how I think my mind used to work. You know, God would kind of look down from heaven at the stuff he had made and all of a sudden he says, oh, look at that. There's a sheep. The sheep reminds me of my people. <laughs> look at it. You know, funky, disobedient, stupid little sheep. They remind me of my, you know what? I can use that sheep as an illustration for what my people are like. And I think God looked down and said, look at, that's amazing, right? The little butterfly but it started as a war. I can use that. I can. That's an illustration of what I want to do in people's lives. I don't think that's how it worked anymore. Here's what I think really happened. God said, I need to create something that shows my people what they're like. So he made sheep to show his people what they're like. I want to give them a picture of the transformation, the metamorphosis that I can bring. So he made that butterfly go through that process. It's not that God saw something, said, oh, I think I can use that. He made those things for that purpose. And now we get to see them as illustrations. Now, if you think about it, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If the author of the Bible is also the author of all creation, don't you think there would be echoes in creation of the principles that we find in the Bible. And lo and behold, the echoes are all over the place because the author of the book is the author of creation and nature. There's a harmony between the two. So here's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. I'm going to tell you what I learned about caterpillars and butterflies this week as I did extensive research on Wikipedia and the web. The whole process starts with this. Not with that. It starts with this. With a little leaf. I think it's coming. There it is. What do, what do butterflies start out as? No, they don't. Oh, did you flunk first grade? <laughs> butterflies don't start as caterpillars. What do butterflies, we even have a picture of it. What do butterflies start as? An egg, an egg, right? If you look real close there, you see a little egg, right? Now, here's an amazing thing. Somehow they know 
to lay the eggs on the right leaves. Isn't that amazing? Like if you lay, the caterpillar can't say, oh, I don't like this leaf. I'm going to go over there. He has no way of getting there, right? So whatever leaf the egg gets laid on, that's the leaf the caterpillar is going to eat. If he's on the wrong leaf, he, get, he can't digest it. He gets poisoned. He dies. So somehow the eggs get laid on the right leaf. That's amazing, right? And then after the egg hatches, now who yelled? After the egg hatches, it hatches into a caterpillar. Good, good. Let's try it. You all didn't do well. It hatches into a caterpillar there. Now, the caterpillars in Ashley's class don't look anything like this pretty caterpillar. Um, the caterpillars in the first grade class in the North Penn School District are funky, gross-looking worms. Uh, they but they start out really, really tiny. And in a matter of, matter of days, they're like giant and bloated. What do caterpillars do? What are they only interested in? Eating. And if you've ever had caterpillars infest your garden, you know what that's like, right? I mean, there's a, a, a handful of caterpillars can eat a lot of your crops that are trying to come in, right? Caterpillars eat and eat and eat and eat. In fact, they eat and they double, triple, quadruple their size until this little tiny worm all of a sudden is like this fat cucumber with legs looking thing as it's kind of walking around. And eventually, what happens after you eat and eat and eat and eat? Then what happens? You get tired, right? You've had Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, after you sit and eat and eat and eat, you can go in and put the ball game on, but that's just an excuse to lay back and fall sound asleep. Well, when the caterpillar eats and eats and eats, he gets hungry, so he makes a little sleeping bag and he goes to sleep. And he goes into a cocoon or a chrysalis. And in that cocoon, he takes a nap. He sleeps. But the process isn't passive. I mean, if you ever want, like, I've only known this because Ashley does this, right? The cocoons sometimes shake, right? The little, the little caterpillar is fighting in there, right? He makes the sleeping bag, but he doesn't like the sleeping bag. I really wanted them to make me a cocoon that I could get in this morning. And I was going to talk to you for a minute. But then I figured they wouldn't let me out. They'd roll me off. And so I oh, scrapped that idea, right? So eventually the worm, you know, the caterpillar is in the chrysalis. It's in the cocoon. And inside this amazing transformation happens until eventually it breaks out of the cocoon. And a caterpillar, what comes out? A but that's amazing, isn't it? A gross little worm goes in, and a beautiful butterfly comes out. Now, when a butterfly comes out, it doesn't immediately fly away because its wings have not been stretched and are kind of wet and slimy. And so the butterfly has to now open its wings, and the wings, you know, catch the air, and the wings begin to dry, and then the butterflies take off. Take off for the bird. No, no, no. But, but they take off. You know, one of the things that I've always said, you know, for years I've said, Every biblical metaphor, every biblical picture of a Christian or of the church always has a missional aspect at its core. We often, by the way, miss the missional aspects because that doesn't naturally gravitate to us because we're always me first rather than you first. But every biblical metaphor for Christian or church always has a you first missional component that's absolutely essential. Essential. What do butterflies do when they go out? Well, if they're monarch butterflies, they go to Mexico. As everybody knows, you go to, go to Cancun. <laughs> well, so the butterflies. But what do the butterflies do as they take off? They get tired. And so they land on flowers. And they're thirsty. So they drink the nectar from the flowers. And while they're drinking the nectar and while they're stopping on the flowers, what are they doing? They are pollinating the flowers. The butterflies, as they go, are extending life and beauty. You think God just looked down and said, oh, I think I can use that. Look, that's a great, 
I think God made those things so he can say, that's what I'm about. That's what I want life to be about. Eggs become caterpillars that do nothing but eat, 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 me first, me, 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 me. But eventually there's a little bit of a sleep time, and out of the, sleep time, the sleeping cocoon comes a butterfly rather than consuming, now extending life and beauty. There's the missional picture every time. So there is an illustration that comes right out of Romans 12. That's the same theme as 2 Timothy 2.20. 2, 2, the same theme as Ephesians 4. The same, it's over and over and over again. The same themes come up over and over and over. But you know, there are some vocabulary words that we're going to have to learn. Because even though we can't make this process work, you can't make this happen. This is a God deal. But we can cooperate with what God's doing, or we can work against what God's doing. And if you want to cooperate with what God's doing in this metamorphosis project, you're going to have to learn some vocabulary words. You ready? All right, so here we go. Here's the first word you have to know. Say that. What's the first word? No. All right, practice that. No. Yeah. You've got to know no, or you're never going to change. Occasionally, uh, Kim and I have to go into Philly. And uh, last time, one of the last times we were in Philly, uh, Kim stayed at her mom's, and I went to the cool coffee shop in Fishtown. Now, the problem with the cool coffee shop is that there's no parking lot. It means you have to park on the street, and parking's always nasty in Philly, right? But thankfully, as I pull up, I see a guy. He's obviously leaving the spot right in front of the coffee shop. So I pull up to the spot and place in front of him, waiting for him to pull out, and then I'll just parallel park back in. And I'm waiting. I know he's leaving, right? He started the car. I look in my mirror. He's adjusting his mirror. He's then on his phone. He's something, and he's waiting for somebody. He's not waiting for anybody. He's, he's annoying me. That's what he's doing, right? I'm doing everything I can to not drive, to walk back and say, what the heck are you doing, pal? Get that out of my spot. I need to get here. Eventually, he pulls out so I can pull in. Now, why do I tell you that? Because that's where the process of change needs to begin when we cooperate. The problem is, we have no space in our lives at all for God, do we? So if we're going to make space for God, we need to first say no to some stuff that's already there. You're going to have to say no to some stuff that you're presently doing to make room to say yes for God in other areas. We have no vacant spaces, right? You don't have a lot of disposable time. You don't have a lot of disposable income. You don't have a lot of disposable energy. Our lives are lived to the max. In order to say yes, you first have to say no. And our problem is often we come to church... And you show up, and maybe you leave each week thinking, oh my goodness, now he told me more stuff to do. Now i got to do Rise Against Hunger. Now i got to volunteer here. I don't have time. That's right. Say no before you say yes. Let's practice. Yeah, you need to say no to some stuff, right? Now, we start out early in life, and we got this no thing down, don't we? Did you ever talk to like a little kid? Clean up your room. No. Eat your peas. No. Share your toys. Heck no. But somehow, you know, after three... We start learning, you get more of what you want when you say yes. So we start saying yes, yes, yes. And before you know it, we're grown up like us. And we say yes to our bosses when we should say no. And we say yes to people using our time when we should say no. And we say yes to things that shouldn't be in our lives. And we say, we wind up saying yes, 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 until our lives are filled to overflowing. Then all of a sudden we want to say yes to something God wants us to do, but there are no parking places for God. You first say no, get something out before you get something in. That's the first important word. Well, the second word you might guess is the word yes. 
Let's practice that one. Yes. But you got to say no before you say yes. So what's going to go in order for you to say yes? Here's my hunch. You know, you show up at Calvary Church on a Sunday morning, giving up prime time to come here, sing songs, hear a message. You really, I, I believe you really want to say yes to God. But you don't want to say no to some of the stuff that's filling your life. But I want to remind you, you can't say yes unless you first say no. But once you say no, then you need to say yes to the right stuff. So you need to say yes to God, to loving him more than other things. You need to say yes to spending time with God, reading his word and praying. You need to say yes to worship, gathering. You need to say yes to loving people and blessing them and praying for them. You need to say yes to volunteering and serving. You need to say yes to living out mission. You need to say yes to building relationships with people and inviting them into your life and then inviting them to your church. You need to say yes to all that stuff, but you got to say no in order to say yes. Is that how it works? So you're going to cooperate with God this week? No. Then yes. Oh, but that's not all. We got two more vocabulary words. The next word is uh, two words, actually. Forgive me. I won't ask you to raise your hands because I know most of you. I can tell you're all screw-ups. You're lustful, envious, jealous, critical, gossiping, nasty, worm-like creatures. I know. Because uh, I'm that too. I know. Which means as you go through life, you notice stuff in your life as you go through that really shouldn't be there. Occasionally, uh, I will get a splinter. Not from work, but by accident. And when I get a splinter, I usually go to Kim because she loves to gouge things out of bodies, particularly mine. I always fear a little bit when she comes in with the pliers and the chainsaw to get the splinter out. And after some excruciating pain and lots of crying and tears on my part, the splinter is removed. I could just hide the splinter and pretend it's not there. But then it would get infected. And then gangrene would set in. And then the tip of my thumb would fall off. And then my hand would get nasty and that would fall off. Then eventually I'd lose my arm. Eventually I'd go to my chest and I'd probably check out, right? And so it all started, maybe not that dire, right? But you get the idea. If you ignore the little splinter and you do nothing about it, you're just setting yourself up for bigger and bigger problems later. But we often do that, right? We know there's a whole bunch of stuff in our lives that shouldn't be there. We know that we've taken this body, this mind, these abilities, and we've been using them for ignoble, gross purposes. And God says, you need to clean up and sanitize and lie so and get yourself back. And I'm going to do that process, but you need to cooperate with me. And one of the key ways we cooperate is to say, forgive me. And God stands ready, more than you'll know, to remove the splinter. But make no mistake, it'll hurt getting the splinter out. It'll hurt worse if you never get the splinter out. Forgive me. One of the vocabulary words you have to know to cooperate with God. Well, here's our last one. Help. Help. This is God's deal. Ultimately, it's not ours. We can cooperate with him, but this is a God deal. So what do we do? We realize that we're weak and we can't do it. We realize that we can't do this process by ourselves. It's from the inside out. God wants to come with his spirit and energize us and give us the power to make it happen. We can't do it without him. 
but you need to learn the vocabulary words, saying no to what you need to say no to, saying yes to what you need to say yes to, asking forgiveness regularly because we screw up regularly, getting the splinters out. But having the splinter out means all you got is a hole there now. Then you need God's help to fill it. And if you ask for wisdom and strength and power and grace, God will give you all those things. He wants to give them more than we want to take them. Vocabulary words that will help you cooperate in the process of transformation. You know, we had two uh, funerals this past week of founding members at Calvary Church. Esther Schlosser and Jack Miller. And I was thinking that as we go through that metamorphosis cycle in our lives over and over and over and over again, right? As you go through life, you discover that, you know, you're really worm-like, feeding on the wrong stuff regularly, right? And as you notice that, and then you ask God, and God kind of works in you, and a beautiful butterfly results. But as we go through that metamorphosizing process over and over and over again, there's also a sense in which our lives are one big cycle like that, right? And so we were feeding on all the wrong stuff. But through the magical process of transformation called salvation, Jesus takes us and ultimately transforms us. And one day, your body won't be left in a cocoon or a shell or a casket, but that body will be reunited with a soul that's flying, and we will forever enjoy the presence of God and community with his people. And the only reason that whole process works is that Jesus went through the process for us. He became a human being, an egg cell, in the womb of a Jewish teenager. He was born and lived like the rest of us, living in this world, experiencing all that the sin and curse brought. And Jesus, too, was placed in a tomb. But on that first Easter, as the first fruits, the first butterfly of a flock to come, he flew out of that tomb to bring beauty and life to all he touches. It's in that vein that we gather and look with hope to the future. Now, we're not finished with our pictures. Let me pray, and we can go live them out. Father, we give you thanks for the pictures of your word. Thanks for the stories behind them. Thanks for Paul, and thanks for Timothy. Thanks for the pictures, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us to reflect on them and allow them to take root in our lives and bring change and transformation in us. We pray in Christ's name.